0: Ladies and gentlemen, pimps in between, as one Daniel Finton would say, started it like that in the last two episodes. Anyway, it is the Arsenal Canon podcast Extravaganza featuring myself, Alfie in It is episode 114. 140? 140, 149. I don't know where. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling a bit rough, but I thought I'd firm it because it's our first game back after delightful win over West Ham. Um I'm probably just going to hand over to Rob quite often. So Rob, Rob, Bob, Bert, Bert the man with the our name. Go ahead.
1: Uh, hello. Um, yeah, it's good to be back and talking about Arsenal finally after the, the Christmas period um, and the World Cup, of course. I mean, wow, what, what a return for Arsenal. What a return. Um, you know, it was a really emphatic second-half performance and... You know despite the penalty in the first half we were very dominant and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to getting into it but you know first of all how was how was your Christmas half? what did you get up to with your family?
0: ate food um, drank some some beers That was a bit about it to be honest. Sorry if my voice doesn't really encapsulate the uh, excitement of the game and how I actually did feel about it but yeah just the, the illness. How was your Christmas Rob?
1: Yeah, it was, it was it was pretty good um, at home with with all the family. Um, I think it was the first year actually that not a single one of my presents uh, from my family involved Arsenal. Uh, usually, I, I get some sort of jacket or an Arsenal shirt or you know any sort of even just a mug or something like that. I usually get something, and uh, yeah, it was quite a sobering moment. You know, finally growing up.
0: I think I had the same thing actually. I'm just looking down at my presents and I. Can't see anything, so related to Arsenal. Anyway, what a return on Boxing Day. We've waited for this moment for a while. Um, we've all been starved of our terrible, and they delivered after a little bit of a... Well, we'll get into it. I don't think it was too much wrong with the performance in the first half, but it was a little bit... There were some issues we could talk about, Um, but we got through. We extended our lead. We're now, what, eight points clear? Seven points clear of Newcastle, eight, point clear, eight points clear of Man City. The pressure is on City to beat Leeds tonight. Harlan returning to his birth of place, birth birthplace. God, I, yeah, I'm not speaking well. Um, and yeah, how did you how did you feel? Sum, Summarise your sort of feelings and thoughts um, after that game against West Ham, Rob, which I was at by the way.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I didn't manage to get to this one frustratingly. Obviously, it was our first game back after the World Cup, so the ticket demand was on a different level and the only ones I could find were sort of the £100 plus ones at club level, which was a a tad frustrating. But still, uh, a sense that the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And yeah, it's one of those games that I think that if you do go on and do great things from a season, you, you look back on and think, yeah, those were the sorts of games that really define you. Um, you know, there were doubts heading into the game. We Lost arguably our most important player this season in Gabriel Jesus to injury. It was our first game with Nketiah leading the line in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, he was, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, and it was... Yeah, uh, uh, just a, a brilliant, brilliant Arsenal performance. Sorry if you can hear the fire alarm in the background. and My mum's probably fucked up some cooking.
0: Yeah, what was I going to say? I think that was kind of the 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 very important thing in terms of the narrative. Uh, you mentioned the Gabriel Jesus thing. Um, Sort of, you knew they were talking about an arse cast. You knew what the headlines were going to be if we failed to win this game. It was going to be, oh, Arsenal. I mean, even if we had Jesus, it might have been Arsenal. You know, that have the wheels fallen off. You know, the World Cup's have disrupted their momentum, and now that they're, they're the start of the inevitable decline is here. Um, but without, even with the without Jesus, it's like oh, Jesus was uh, you know so pivotal, and can't do it. Um, but we managed to play in the same way that we have played for most of the season with the same principles, without our star player, without probably our best player, um, which was the the best thing. On the atmosphere, I'll say the atmosphere sort of warmed up as the performance did. Um, I think there was a bit of a rust in the crowd, uh, maybe a bit of you know some, some hungover uh, attendees after Christmas Day who were sort of. They grew into the game, um, as did the players. Um, And yeah, it wasn't just Gabriel Jesus who were coming into this game without Takiyo Tomiyasu. was nowhere to be seen. We're not really sure. Maybe he's getting an extended break after he basically asked for that. Um, I don't think anyone expected William Saliba to start. I think people thought maybe Rob Holding would play, given Saliba's exploits in the World Cup. And I think Saliba took a bit of time to, to grow into the game. Um, other than that, I think it was pretty much expected. I think we all thought Tierney would play um, with Zinchenko not having played since that Wolves game, not having played any minutes in the friendlies. <laughs> um, and I think the rest of the team was pretty pretty nailed on. Saka and Martinelli obviously played in that behind-closed-doors game, behind game against Luton, so they were both expected to start. Um, it's been a while since either of them played, Martinelli didn't play too much and I think Saka was, looked, I think that, that something could be said about the players who went to the World Cup but didn't tr- didn't play all that much In Saliba and Martinelli I think looked a little bit rusty on the night um, whereas Saka, you know, was playing every, well, a lot of minutes for England and he looked pretty sharp. Um, but I was, I was pretty excited to see what Eddie could do because I think generally he's been judged in the prism of Europa League Thursday nights when he's playing sort of in the dysfunctional B team, which sort of scrapes through those Europa League games, you know, surrounded by people like Sambi Lekonga, Maradona Elneny, Fabio Vieira, Reese Nelson. Um and we've seen when players have come into the normal system, it's been the sort of one piece of the jigsaw displays. You know, Fabio Vieira against Brentford. Um, even Sambi, to an extent, when he came in for parte looked decent at, in period, particularly on the ball. We know about his off the ball deficiencies. Um, you know, Tierney coming in, Tomiyasu coming in at times. They've slotted in pretty well, and then they look worse when they have to play with that dysfunctional team. And I was thinking, let's judge Eddie over a slightly larger sample size in the first team Um, and I was quite happy that he had those players surrounding him you know Saka Martinelli and that midfield three base to sort of complement him
1: yeah I'd agree with that when you think about it, it's, it's the first time really that he's had the opportunity to lead the line in our strongest team because even at the back end of last season, we had when he was starting every game, we had a number of uh, injury problems. Uh, Thomas Partey and Kieran Tierney, of course, first-choice players who were unavailable, but Ben White was also dealing with problems uh, at the back end of last season. And yeah, there, there wasn't really that that settled team around him to sort of just plug him into and yeah, I thought he really excelled on the night. Um, I was delighted for him that he could get the goal. It took a little while for him to to warm up. And even at, at times in the second half, he he did look a bit leggy. But one aspect of his game that has really improved is the way that he's receiving the ball. It was evident in the goal that he scored as well. One of my biggest complaints with Eddie over the years. And <clears throat> I know one for you as well was how he received the ball and his hold-up play. and a big issue for me has always been that when he gets the ball, he always seems to sort of carry it back. But instead now he's able to turn really effectively. And we saw that with the goal, but also um uh, during the first half when he sort of turned Craig Dawson inside out, you know, he had the two West Ham centre-backs, albeit the very poor West Ham centre-backs on on ropes all games. Um It was really, when you reflect on it, a really good opportunity for him to pick up the form. Um And yeah, I thought he also snapped at opportunities a little bit in that first half. There was that moment where he was pretty much thrown goal after some really quick distribution from Ramsdale. Shaka played him in and uh, then he sort of had that snapshot when perhaps he could have taken it around Craig Dawson and had a better attempt at goal. But yeah, it's exactly what he needed. We spoke about it in the pre-game pod. Um, uh, Daniel Mack and I, we we said that we really hoped we'd get a goal. They backed him to be sort of that sort of shining light for us with that extra motivation to prove people wrong. And um, yeah, I think he did exactly that.
0: Yeah, and we've said, I don't think it's the goals that are going to be the issue for him. Like, I think he'll score goals in this team. I think it's everything else that Jesus brings. And I think the sort of comparison... And unfortunately, it's, it's inevitable that everything he does is going to be compared to what Gabriel Jesus does. And I don't think it helps him because very few strikers in the world can do what Gabriel Jesus does. He is world-class. Um, besides Haaland and Kane, I'd say, I don't think there's a better striker in the Premier League. And, you know, so it's not like really a slight on Eddie that he can't necessarily do some of that stuff. Um but if he can sort of imitate some of it, that's good enough. And if he can give us more goals than Jesus might have done, then that's good as well. And I mean, yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> and I think there's
1: a case to be made that sort of Gabby Jesus doesn't score that goal that Eddie does. There's definitely unique uh, sort of attributes within Eddie's game. I think he is a bit more of a ruthless finisher than Jesus. I think that's something that we have long accepted, but the sort of, Pros in Jesus's game outweigh the cons, and that's what I think we, we're most afraid of—that we're going to miss out, miss out on his his link-up play. But I think Eddie did absolutely fine, and um, you know, a big reason for why we didn't miss Jesus so much, I think, personally, was just how much Martin Hurtigard was able to influence the game. He was just exceptional in the forward areas.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into that. Um... But hopefully that, that goal does alleviate some of that pressure and now we can kick on. Because um, I think it was weighing, weighing on him a bit. Um, and that should be the pressure of his shoulders. Let's talk about <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Let's talk about that first half. Um, it, you know what it reminded me of in a sense? It reminded me, I don't know if you cast your mind back to the Wolves game. Um, and the first half in that game. It was sort of. The principles of play were there, the system was there, the pressing high, regaining possession, playing on the halfway line with our centre-backs, um, completely penning them in, limiting them them to absolutely no threat. Um, but in the final third, we weren't quite as fluid, and also I mean, it was a sort of sterile possession to some extent. There was also a similar theme uh, in that game with our left side not really functioning as well. I think in this game with Kieran Tierney, I think he was sort of not inverting in that first half as much as Zinchenko would, or our left back normally would in that system. And he was playing a little bit higher up and a little bit more wide. And it meant Shaka was a lot more prohibited in sort of the forward runs he was making. He wasn't attacking that half space. Um, and Martinelli was sort of left in a sort of. You know, he likes to be quite high and wide, and Tierney was sort of trying to occupy that space. And then Marcelli didn't really know where to, you know, which positions to take up. I thought they were sort of stepping on each other's toes. And we had Shaka back there, and it meant West Ham was sort of really targeting that diagonal long ball to Bowen on that side, which is just the theme of t- team. that's where teams have tried to exploit us this season. Um, and they got a little bit of joy. They didn't really, I mean, I guess the penalty came from that. But generally, in that first half, it was sort of the left-hand side not functioning. The right-hand side looked relatively threatening. Um, but it was kind of sterile possessions. There were some good moments. I think Odegaard had a decent chance from a Saka knockdown from a header. Um, you mentioned the Nketiah sort of snapshot when Shaka played him in. Shaka had a decent shot. But it wasn't. there wasn't too much. But I think there was too much wrong with the performance as well. We still started pretty well. Um, but it, it did sort of take the penalty to, for us to sort of play our way into the game.
1: Yeah, I think sterile could be the word that you um, sort of attached to that first half to an extent. Um, I think there were also good moments. We obviously had that disallowed goal as well, um, which, you know, prior to that, I thought that we were playing some excellent football. But I think you're right to sort of pinpoint that left-hand side as a problem. Um, you know, instead of building with a two-three, we it was quite obvious that we were building with a three-two. Ben White was was dropping a little bit deeper, and you just wonder whether Kieran Tierney is a, a, a just a tad out of his depth playing in a two uh, in in that midfield pivot rather than a three. You definitely <laughs> rather have. Alexander Alexander Zinchenko playing there next to Thomas Partey. If you're gonna do the double pivot rather than the sort of having (coughs) the two both the fullbacks inverting next to Thomas Partey, Um, so yeah, I I think I think that's an aspect. But then you you've also got to look at how West Ham looked to get at us. The physicality of Jared Bowen, Uh, Mikel Antonio was moving over to that side as well as we did see with the goal as you touched upon, and perhaps you know that that's something that we've discussed before on this podcast um, perhaps that was in Mikel Arteta's head in his thinking behind starting Tierney instead he is the superior de- defender even though Bowen you know was getting quite a bit of joy out of him but yeah we, we, we did limit them but I think there was something to that dysfunctionality down the left hand side and I think you know I, I love the guy and I actually think he's improving so much in, in playing in that inverted role but it is largely down to the fact Kieran Tierney is such a different player to um, Alex Zinchenko.
0: Yeah, and we did sort of resolve that in the second half. I think T- uh, Tierney did start inverting more and Shaka started getting into those positions we associate with him now this season. Um, let's talk about the penalty uh, because and when I saw it, I was right behind the goal uh, in the North Bank. I, th- I thought Bowen had just sort of fallen over and sort of tripped and scuffed the shot. And I went, way, And then I just saw, my- it was Michael Oliver, wasn't it? Just point to the penalty spot. I was like, what? Um, and I had no idea until I watched it back what had actually happened. But I think we sort of get done by the ball coming down that side. Is it Antonio that peels off to that side? Plays, plays it into Bowen um, and it's sort of, Emblematic of a Saliba that was sort of a bit rusty and, and trying to play himself into the game. I thought he's much better later in the game, but he doesn't get this right and he does clip Bowen. It's sort, it's kind of soft because the contact is very soft, but I, you can't really complain with there being a penalty because it it does impede Bowen's running um, and he just can't regain his balance after it. What did you th- What did you make of that? A penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean, similar to you in the moment, I just thought it was one of the most ludicrous calls that I've ever seen. It felt like one of those that, you know, the ref only gives it if he wants to give it. Um, still to an ex- to a degree, I think that's true, just because you so re- rarely see penalties given these days when um, the player doesn't go down. It's something that Matt talked about in the last podcast and something that we don't like. So if that is something that, the FA are trying to, or PGMOl now under the direction of Howard Webb, if that's something they're trying to address. I mean, that can only be good. But we we want to see consistency on that front. But it did impede Jared Bowen, um, and I think I think you have to say say it was a fair call. Um, but again, we, we we saw a situation in the... I don't know if you watched Chelsea Bournemouth yesterday and um, I think Pulisic was basically through and and got tugged, but didn't go down and still got his shot off and they didn't give anything there. So we just need to see consistency on that front. But I don't think William Saliba can complain. Um, think, again, this is something that we talk about regularly on the show. He's a young centre-back. He's going to make mistakes. He makes less mistakes than most. Um, but yeah, that, that was a moment where... As a sort of fan who's watched young sandbacks sort of integrated in this team, it did remind me of something that, I don't know, Gabriel, and that's not to say that Gabriel doesn't do it anymore, but something that he would do in his first season where he goes for a ball, which really he's got no business going for. And I appreciate people say, Oh, Bowen would have got a shot off anyway and likely and maybe scored. But, you know, it's on Bowen's right foot. There's no guarantee of a goal if he gets a shot off. There's there's just no need for Saliba to really try and... And it's only because he's trying to rectify a mistake that he made in the build-up. But it's just a natural thing that young centre-backs do. He uh, he had no business going for that ball.
0: Yeah, and you could argue we've seen Gabriel do stuff like that this season. You know, you think of the Spurs penalty he gave away. Um (laughs) Yeah, uh, obviously Ben Rama goes down the middle. Not really much Ramsdale can do when you dive and it goes down the middle. Um, but I think it did spark us into life a bit. We started playing with a bit more intensity in that final third. Uh, what did you make of the offside goal, by the way? Because I was a bit con- confused. I know mm. it came off Saka, but I saw a still image where Saka looked onside when Odegaard played that pass. I don't oh, know really? accurate or not. It probably wasn't. but
1: Yeah, I don't think it was. Um uh, But, you know, it was one of those initially where it all seemed like um, everything was going to sort of be rectified and there was a mistake made, but I think it did. I think uh, Eddie was just offside when it uh, clipped uh, uh, Saka's heels. Uh, I think that that was the issue. It hit Saka and then it went to Eddie. So that's why it was offside. It was a really well-taken goal, um, good old flappy hand-skin goal. Uh, <laughs> he, he he did have a bit of a stinker. There's no way he should have let Martinelli's goal in at the near post. We'll get onto that later. Um, but yeah, it was a really nice goal. A shame for Saka that he couldn't really get that moment coming back off the Euros. But I thought Saka, credit to him, was absolutely electric. Um, yeah, I think he's I don't know how he keeps on doing it, but lately I just feel like he's hit an, another level. And you, you wrote about this last year. I remember that you said, "Has he is sort of hit this like next level in his game?" And I feel like he's gone up even higher. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely one of the best forwards in the Premier League right now.
0: Absolutely, and I do feel this is a point Elliot made on the instant reaction last division. He he feels the sort the pressure. Has sort of gone from him and he just he's gone up a level in terms of responsibility from having played so many you know in so many high stakes games for England and for Arsenal at such a young age. Like it seems to sort of release the burden. He seems more confident in everything he's doing. Um we did have a penalty of our own in pretty much the last kick of the first half, which I think we could both conclusively say was correctly not given um at the time though they showed a replay in the stadium after it had not been given after they'd overturned it and we all thought they don't usually do that do they they don't but we all thought it looked like it came off i think they did it to be like the ref's right here it came off his head but because you know the screens are quite far from you it kind of just increase the tension i think a lot of people just thought it because it, it, it kind of looked like it came off was it cresswell
1: um yeah it was cresswell yeah. and he blocked it in a really weird way it did hit him exactly. direct on the face yeah he, was, he sort of had his hand up uh you know the listeners won't be able to see what i'm doing but it, it was it was up next to his head and it was a really strange block um but th- this is something that i've been thinking about after the game you know the 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 Emirates is such a horrible place to go and play football now, and that that isn't just for the players; it's also for referees. And I think you know the the way um, the the crowd was sort of sort of energized at that point by what we what we felt was harsh um, refereeing, in the sense of the the Bowen go, uh, the Bowen penalty, which Ben Rama tucked away. I think in the stadium, I can imagine people would have been wondering why on earth that was given. And yeah, I, th- I feel like Oliver, to an extent, was was pressurized into to giving that um giving that decision. It
0: took about four years to do it. Yeah, it did to <laughs> the spot.
1: Um, but yeah, there, there's no way it was a penalty. But thank you, Michael Oliver, because I think he really did energize the fans, and I think that was crucial to the the second half combat. The stadium just sounded um, absolutely electric.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, they they are. Uh, they're just showing the replay just sort of increased the uncertainty because it kind of looked from from the angle they gave us and sort of how far you are from the screen. And then it did come off his arm. So we were all like really confused. Um Literally everyone around me was like, why isn't that not penalty? Um, and it did sort of just, it probably was a good thing because it sort of united the crowd even more. And I think it was sort of in a bit of an injustice In general, I think the fans felt because we had dominated that first half in terms of possession and territory, which is what we do now. Regardless of who's on the pitch, we do that week in, week out. Um, And we somehow found ourselves one goal down with West Ham doing absolutely nothing that first half. Um, Literally one attack, get a penalty. It was a very smash and grab half. Um, But we responded in the second half. We mentioned that tactical change that we made. Uh, I think Tierney was doing a lot more inversion. And it really, I think the left side improved, but I think it was the right side that was sort of at the heart of it. But also Martin Odegaard. And we'll get into individual performances after. But let's talk through the goals, which is starting with Martin Odegaard, a brilliant, brilliant pass from him or shot. Uh, we were all confused. There was sort of a, a hesitancy about the, the celebration. Um because we, we all thought, we were convinced it was offside um, from where we were sat behind the, the goal in the North Bank. Um, but it wasn't. And it was great that we were able to, and that's something we've been able to do quite frequently this season, get the goal relatively quickly after the, you know, when we're down. So it's, we're not waiting until the later periods. And, you know, the longer it takes, the more pressure um, gets on the players' shoulders and the crowd can get restless. So it was a great time to score.
1: Yeah, it was one of those that even Saka seemed very unsure. Even before he, at the ball, hit the back of the net, he looked over at the linesman, but no, Kufa was playing him on. Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny that that's the pass that Erdegaard got his first assist of the game from because he was playing some absolutely audacious passes in that first half and potentially something that we could have seen even more of if Shaka felt a, bit, a little bit more liberated because I, I feel like there was more of that onus on him to drop deeper with Tierney on the pitch but um, yeah you know there's a huge element of luck to that goal it's extremely fortuitous but it's something that Arsenal absolutely deserved and the way Saka composed himself and just tucked it into the corner sat Fabianski down you know, fantastic. And it, it's something that we needed, uh, especially considering West Ham had a, a fairly decent chance from, from themselves early in the, in the
0: second half, which could have put them two no up, which, you know, exactly. been... the Antonio one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he was offside. I think they gave it as offside. But...
1: Oh, did they? Okay. Well, um, yeah, Ramsell made a good save there anyway. Um, and yeah, it, it just, just such a relief to see uh, the Saka tuck that one away. Um, and yeah, just from there in the second half, we were just absolutely imperious. Uh, and even after Martinelli scored, uh, I know we got the one that eventually clinched it from Nketiah, but the level of control was just off, off the charts.
0: Oh yeah, you never felt like West Ham were getting back into it. And I think David Moyes felt that as well, because he brought some random kid on um, to, to give him his debut. He sort of gave up. Uh and it's what we do. I remember the game in Spurs. Uh, Conte made similar substitutions to sort of throw it when we were comfortably in the lead. Liverpool, which completely controlled it, uh, well, after we went three two up and looked like we were never going to concede. And yeah, on the second goal, I think it is really composed, smart finish. I know it's it's you know he's got to score that. It's very it's a very presentable chance, but the way he sort of waits slightly. Uh, for Fabianski to move and then just places it in that bottom corner. If you and and, the, and the first that, touch, which
1: is which is something that he talked about in his interview, was just fantastic. The way it set himself, um, it, it fell perfectly at his left foot and it, it was almost like one of those penalties where you see the likes of Fernandez and Jorginho sort of hop, skip and jump type penalty where you wait for the, pen, the keeper to sit down. It, it was that sort of composure. Yeah. Um, and that that's obviously something that has come on leaps and bounds in Saka's game and perhaps wouldn't be something that he would have finished off quite so calmly who knows about a year ago
0: yeah and i'm going to give it to him as give it to Odegaard as a brilliant reverse pass uh into Saka's feet
1: he deserved one of them to come off because oh my god in the first half it it's it, it's it's such a I think it's a really underrated thing in football, the ability to play those reverse passes efficiently, um, because they do just cut out so many players within the game. It's such a valuable skill. Um, and yeah, the, the, some of them in the first half were just Urzil It was.
0: Mwah. Beautiful. Um, the second goal, I think it comes from us pressing high, and it's Saka, who, on his pressing in this game, I think he's normally like. He's a, he's a decent presser, but I don't think he quite presses with the same intensity and he's not quite as successful in his pressures as the other sort of attacking players in our team. As uh, You know, as Gabriel Jesus, we all know, probably one of the best pressing forwards in the world, um, Martinelli and Odegaard. I think Saka, shown in this game, he really can do it because he won it back a few times in that sort of area. I mean, he won it back in this. Um and Odegaard again at the heart of it feeds Shaka, Shaka, nice little layoff into Martinelli. You mentioned Fabianski, and he probably should keep it out. I think we have to give Martinelli a bit of credit here. Um in what we're gonna talk about all the individuals, but I don't think it was his best game personally. I think some people I saw some people argue against that, but I personally didn't feel it was his best game. Um but he, he does really well in this and that. He shifts the ball firstly to his left foot very well, quickly, um, across his foot. He also strikes the ball pretty well. He gets his foot uh, behind the ball and under it, um, and he sort of digs it out. Um, and I just think Fabianski doesn't expect it. He doesn't anticipate the shot from that angle. Um, and it comes at him so quickly, he can't readjust really his feet. So I think it's probably one he'll feel disappointed about, but I don't think it was like an absolute howler. Um and it was limbs in the stadium at that point. And that was when the, the the atmosphere hyped up because in the uh I was talking about the big screens and what they were showing. In the uh aftermath of the second goal they clipped they shot to Wenger uh in the crowd. They clipped they cut to Wenger in the crowd and he was, you know, on his on his feet uh, clapping the goal. And that was sort of when it sort of got to a party atmosphere was sort of rejuvenated. This is where we left off. Um, you know, the, the chance came out the one Arsene Wenger followed by the, we've got Super Mick Arteta. That's where, it, yeah, it felt like what, what we've been missing for, you know, the last couple of months.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a, you could tell watching it at home Lou, it was a fantastic moment within the stadium. Um, I think there's something to what, what you're saying I don't think it was a howler by any means I just think uh, you know perhaps on an, a, a different day he does he does save that Fabianski but it was quite fitting that the the manager that he so um, notoriously made mistakes under was, was sitting in the stadium above him because um, yeah Fabianski has come on to be an absolutely fantastic keeper and in his last few years for us I remember in the cup final run fantastic but Oh my god he was uh, a bit of a shocker back, back in the day. Um so yeah um and uh, to generate that much power with your weak foot as well. Um I think that's a an element of Martinelli's game which has really come on this season as well because you know we saw that goal against I think Leicester right at the start of the season he bulldozed it in with his left foot from outside the box and you know that's no mean feat being able to do that and to have two wingers who are so comfortable on either either foot is you know it's special and it's part of the reason not why we are so dangerous down the left and the right we really do have world-class talent on both wings and It just shows how far this squad has come on. But um, yeah, what what would you say the reaction was to seeing Wenger in the stadium? Um, I think it was clearly a a special, special occasion and I'm I'm glad we won in front of him. But, you know, it it looked like a really beautiful moment when it was noticed that he was there.
0: Yeah, I think it was kept under wraps uh, pretty significantly. I actually knew he was there just, I think it was probably a couple minutes before kickoff or something like that when I looked at my phone, I had David Ornstein tweet notifications on and it said, Wenger in the stadium. But I don't think most of the stadium were aware. Um, Obviously you're not going to be staring in the director's box, depending on where you're sat. Maybe if you're right next to it, you might've seen him, but that's about it. Um, So I think yeah, most of the fans weren't aware of his presence. Um, And then it was sort of, they cut to the the big board and then uh, everyone was sort of like, whoa, and it, everyone like cheered like, Way! it was like a big uh, applause. And then one awesome Wenger broke out and was going around the stadium for a good five minutes. Um, it's a really nice moment. Yeah. Cause they, um,
1: cause they, they cut to it on the TV cameras quite a bit before and it, it took me a while to compartmentalize it. I was like, Oh, that's nice. Wenger's there. And I was like, Oh shit, that's the first time Wenger's come back. Um, and it, it is astounding that he, he has never been back really uh, to date since he, he left the job. But, you know it, the way that we're timing these things. Um, people compared it to the introduction of the angel last season. It was at a really good moment when we introduced that. It, it's and it's important that you sort of behave that way and that you introduce things at a time where where really the club is ready for it. Um, so yeah, just it's just so fantastic to to see him back, see him smiling and in the dressing room after the game uh it's i think it's important that we restore this relationship and it sounds like
0: we're getting the uh, statue as well uh, at some point soon that would be very nice and from what i've heard the players had no idea was there um as well i think it's i think it, it we he needed time out obviously there's been a bit of there's you know there's been some issues with the relationship between the um certain executive members, the owners... Oh, Rob's just got up and left. I think there's been... don't know what he's doing. Oh, he's back. Uh, I think there's been sort of an erosion uh, between the relationship between, you know, the Cronkies and Wenger. And whether or not that's been fully amended or not, it probably hasn't. Um, but it doesn't really need to be for him to come back to the stadium. I think he needed that time away because it would have hurt. I mean, I, we all know it hurt him a lot to leave the club. And I always say, and we've spoken about it, I think on this podcast before, the presence of Sir Alex at United, I don't think it's helped United managers. You know, he was there from the first game back after he left in the start of the next season. He was there under David Moyes. He was there, you know, consistently under David Moyes, under Louis van Gaal um you know Mourinho Solskjaer Ten Hag now and it's sort of a shadow looming over a great shadow of the uh, you know what the club was looming over the manager and I don't sort of, don't think it's sort of helped him I know it's quite a bit of an intangible but I don't think it's helped the managers we've not had that with Wenger and I think Wenger was conscious of that potentially happening and it was it was nice of him to stay away for a bit and now he can come back as much as he wants because clearly you know, he's come back in a in a, a good period. So it's gonna, you know, only elicit good stuff in the uh, good feelings and atmosphere in the crowd. So yeah, delighted to have him.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I hope that he doesn't turn up every week. Uh, I I hate I hate that. Sir Alex Which Ferguson. I don't think he will. No, I mean, neither. Well. I don't think he's the sort of person that would want to sort of overstay his welcome or anything. I think it was exactly right. I think it was lovely that he got to go down to the dressing room and I think really nice for the players as well um, that, that they got that special moment with him. There's there's that special element to it and I think it's sort of, I'm not saying that Sir Alex Ferguson doesn't remain the United legend that he he always will be, but It sort of keeps his status, firms up his status a little bit as this hero figure at Arsenal. Um, And I think he's also quite happy to just watch on from afar. I'd imagine, you know, if we have a big game towards the end of the season, which I don't know, who knows, it, it could be decisive in the title race. I could imagine that Wenger probably would keep his distance. Whereas, you know, Sort of the ghost of manager Sir Alex Ferguson at United just just overshadows them, and it's it, it's not healthy at all. I, I saw him there last night, even, and I was like, "Of, of course he's there. It, it, it's not it's not special that he's there." And I really like that Wenger could have his special moment.
0: I guess there's there's some difference in that. Sir Alex is a board member. I, I, I think he is, isn't he, at United? So. You know, Maybe he needs his presence a bit more because he actually works for the club, whereas Wenger doesn't really have any ties with the club officially anymore. Um, but it, I, st- I still think the point's completely valid. Anyway, let's move on to the pick of the bunch, uh, which I thought was probably the, the best moment uh, in the stadium in terms of the atmosphere. Martellini's was sort of more limbs, but this was sort of, you know, kept ca- the performance off. It gave us the breathing space. Uh, but it was also just a big moment for Eddie and Ketia. And again, even if we sort of ran out 2-1 winners, there would have been a lot of narrative around, you know, oh, Eddie and Ketia struggling to get in. Even if he, I think, did do quite a few of the things Gabriel Jesus has done, I think the sort of overarching feeling will be towards, you know, did he put the ball in the back of the net? Um, And he did. Uh, And it was a brilliant goal. It's sort of... Uh, instinctive you know st- it's, it's it's a brilliant striker goal um, you know if the way he sort of feels where Tilo Kerr is I don't think it's great from Kerr who I've got a West Ham mate he is not loving Tilo Kerr this season um, who somehow plays for Germany Uh It's bad defending from him, but it's an excellent turn. You know, he feels him, he turns him, and it's it's something he can do really well. Eddie, you spoke about it in the first part uh, a bit earlier, about how he's he's grown in sort of his ability to turn defenders and drive and carry the ball up the pitch. Um, And he did it inside the penalty area, and it's the first moment. I thought his all-round game was quite good um, before that, but I thought we were sort of seeing a bit of, indecisiveness in the penalty area which, was, which is normally where he's so good um, and I think it was sort of the pressure weighing on him and you could see after this goal that sort of lifted a bit and he looked more decisive um, and it's just it's a brilliant turn it's a brilliant finish he keeps his head down but he knows where the corner is he's the side foot to to sort of place it but also generates a lot of power Fabianski no chance and then he does his, you know, his brilliant celebration runs behind the goal right in front of me yeah Limbs. Yeah, he said after the
1: game that he enjoyed the celebration more than the actual goal, uh, and I think that's, that's perhaps indicative of the <coughs> the quality that he possesses. I imagine that he does this on a fairly regular basis in training. Otherwise, you know, why would Arteta have given him that that big bumper deal? It is the,
0: it's the sort of drill that you sort of practice as <laughs> a striker. Um, you know, receiving mm-hmm. uh, the ball with your back to goal and turning and then shooting. Yeah, like, you, can, you can envisage it in a training video that exact yeah. move.
1: But it's it's. I don't think it's a goal at all that every striker in the Premier League scores. I think it's a really high caliber finish. um and, you know, before we even consider how effectively he rolled Kerr, I mean, what a finish as well, just drilling it past Fabianski. And I don't think it was ever really in doubt that it was gonna end up in the in the bottom corner. And that's something that we've never really had to worry about with Eddie, even if, you know, he puts the ball in the back of the net in strange ways. We always know that it, it's somehow gonna gonna hit the back of the net. It's all about for him getting that, that that little bit before I think for years and years all of us on this podcast thought he was just going to be a poacher but clearly he's got more to him than that and that was evidenced in the goal um, yeah it looked like pandemonium in the stadium and you can tell that Eddie thought that he received some sort of vindication for all the, the sort of discourse surrounding him online in recent weeks you know he didn't even bother bringing out the the phone and doing his classic celebration. He was just sort of going a bit nuts doing the pointing at the ground saying, you know, this is me, I'm here. And, you know, he absolutely deserves that. But as a goal in general, I think it was the pick of the bunch in terms of the team contribution, the delicate little scoop from Ben White to take, I think it was, was it Ben Rama out the game? It was it was one West Ham player. Then um, he effectively found Erdegaard, a beautiful sort of wall pass from Erdegaard, which, you know, didn't completely set Eddie. He still had a lot to do. Um, but yeah, the way that we worked that, it, it was one of those goals which you look back on and you think, you know, that's a sort of a beautiful representation of, of what we are as a team these days.
0: Yeah, and this, this game would have been weighing on Eddie's mind for a while because we've known for sort of two to three weeks that he's going to be playing this. There's been so much discourse, as you've said, about, you know, how is he going to deal with it? What do we do? Do we bring in a striker? And he'll be aware of all that. Um, And he's had a lot of time to prove and it was probably a big burden on him. And he's managed to score in the first game, which is huge for his confidence and sort of the way he approaches the next few games. So I was, I was delighted for him. I think after that, there's not an awful lot, lot to talk about. We look relatively threatening. I thought Zinchenko came on um, and we saw the difference. He was absolutely brilliant. Some some of the positions he was taking up were pretty funny, but you, you just get a different feeling when he's on the pitch. It's just a different sense of control that you don't quite get with Kieran Tierney. It's not a slight on Tierney. It just shows how brilliant Zinchenko is on the ball. Um, and we just completely controlled it. Could have potentially scored a few more. I think Odegaard had a few shots just wide. William Saliba had a pretty good chance from a corner, which I think he was unlucky not to score from. Um, and West Ham did basically nothing. Um, uh, there was one shot, which uh, I think it was, was it from now's or Ben Rama? I can't remember. Um, oh yeah, one.
1: there was a good effort, wasn't there, which Ramsdale yeah. saved well. Um, it
0: was a very good save, actually. Too, yeah, I think you know. it
1: was ben Rama. Um mm. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree with what you said about Zinchenko and I I think just to open up a bit of conversation about that and Tierney, and I know it's something that we, we talk about most weeks, but I think over this spell when Gabby Jesus is out, I think the need to have Zinchenko in the team is going to increase um, to a degree. I just think he makes us so press resistant and... I think that is something that also Gabriel Jesus really helps with in the areas that he drops into. So I think, and this isn't to say Tierney had a bad game at all and that there isn't a place for Tierney in the squad, but over these next sort of six weeks when we're without Jesus, I think Zinchenko is going to be so, so important to the way that we, we, we play and we need to keep him fit. And I think it's important that you get to start against Brighton in a few days if he's ready, of course.
0: Absolutely. I think he'll be, you know, straight back into the team if if he's available. And we know how much Artesta loves him. But yeah, West Ham didn't really do anything else. Um, One thing on the subs, because there was a little bit of talk about should we have made them a bit earlier. You know, the Zinchenko one came, you know, 72 minutes, pretty standard. But, you know, we waited till 88th minute to introduce Vieira for Martinelli, I think. That was the sub, and then Al Nenny got ninety seconds or something. Yeah.
1: I don't th- know. I thought it was that was a weird change. Less than
0: that, it was about twenty seconds. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those classic. Yeah, he didn't put a foot wrong. To be fair, yeah, good Day on one, him. He did a couple sprints, and then the seven rest out of ten performance him. from Al Nenny. Yeah, um, exactly. I I almost put ten out of ten on my player. Rating, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I think
1: I don't know. It, it was it was strange the way that we made those substitutions. I, I was surprised that considering he just did those late changes that he didn't bring on uh the the youngster that impressed in the friendlies, Cosier Dubry, um, the one who plays a lot like Bakayosaka, quite freakishly like Bakayosaka. Um so yeah, I was surprised he didn't get any any minutes. Uh Vieira, I think probably considering how he played in the sort of mid season friendlies, I think he perhaps deserved a few more minutes. But how could you take Martin Undegaard off when he was playing like that? Um Yeah, I I don't know, perhaps a little bit strange considering the sort of fitness levels are going to be at different places for all the players. Maybe you chuck on Rob Holding for William Saliba, who has been, you know, away with France, but he hasn't been playing football and there's going to be that element of rust. We saw that in the first half, but maybe these players in particular, you know, your Martinelli's and Saliba's who haven't been playing, maybe you just want to get them completely up to match fitness and giving them as many minutes as possible. Um so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we manage minutes over the course of the next few weeks. Um, there's also the still that yellow card weighing on William Saliba. If he gets another one, he is banned. And we've got some big games coming up. Uh, and you sort of wonder which one is the best game for him to get a yellow card in.
0: Well, I, th- I hope that resets soon. It should be pretty soon, shouldn't it? Yeah, we've got. It's, I, it's really frustrating. As it's,
1: it's like, I think there's four games left, and all those like next four games are pretty tough. So, um, I think. Thank
0: God he didn't get anything yeah. for that Bowen challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean, people were saying that perhaps Brighton would have been the best game to for him to miss. I think. I don't know. I don't want to. Let's touch wood before I say it. But I'm, I think I'm, I'd,
0: I'm, I'd I'm, rather uh, he. He gets it if he has to get it when we know Tommy asus is. Yeah, to win yeah. It. Because then yeah. you can
1: just move over Ben White into center back and start Tommy Asu. Um, but yeah, please, Tommy, sort out your fitness, lad. We we really need you
0: second half of the season. Absolutely, I I I would agree with you on the subs. I think there was some you know question mark. Could we have bought Partey off from rest him a bit earlier? You know, Martinelli, silly as You're saying I think we know that the. That you know the 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 club and this coaching staff will have as much information they they need in terms of in terms of conditioning and sports science, and they'll know, you know, how long to play these players. We talked about um, what's the word, earlier in the season about you know when we were playing players in Europa League, um. Oh,
1: that that thing that you talk about. Um, yeah. I think most of the listeners listeners will know what we're talking about, yeah. but um. The, the fitness thing where you give people as, as, like something
0: to do with workload or something. Oh, yeah. can't remember what it. Is. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember. But you know what we're talking about anyway. If, if is you're, it, you're loyal. Periodisation? Is that it? Oh, it might be
1: periodisation. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, regardless, yeah. I, I, we could have brought some players on earlier, but I wouldn't stress. It was the first game back. He's trying to play them into fitness again. That sharpness. I, I think. mean, a lot
1: of these players would have been raring to go for this match. Your, your Thomas exactly. Partey, who's, uh, who's had a few weeks off in kettier of course. I think mainly the ones that I'm I'm least worried about, which is weird because usually I'm so worried about him. I'm I'm not worried about Partey at all. If anything, his work up world le- workload was like exactly what we want. He got a few games to keep his match fitness up. Then he managed to play some friendlies. Those are the guys I'm I'm less worried about. It's more those sort of William Salibas and Martinelli's who barely played and thus are likely going to be at a slightly different level in terms
0: of match fitness. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think we'll start to see a bit more rotation and uh, particularly in the subs uh, as we sort of start to play more games in this upcoming period. There's some games coming thick and fast. Anyway, let's get into individuals Um, and we're going to keep with the uh, sort of stock rising format. I know we're sort of completely ripping this off from Arsenal Vision uh, Patreon, but it's Patreon, so a lot of people don't know about it. So we invented it, actually. Um, Yeah. So I'll ask you, Rob, I'll give you two, but I'll start with your first one, then we'll sort of rotate in and out so you don't get to do the two obvious ones. Um, Give me your first stock rising, first player you want to single out for their individual performance.
1: I feel like every time I record a podcast with you, Alfie, I, I, I say this player, but Ben White, I think I singled him out before the game as a player that was going to have a huge match. He didn't have a huge match. He just did what he does every single week. And I, I, I just want to make sure that he gets the credit he deserves because he, he he was just superb. And he had a moment early on where he covered for William Saliba, uh, defensively impeccable, and some of his passing over, towards Bakayo Saka and the overlapping runs that, yeah, he's definitely my first player. I uh, just so, so impressed with him every single
0: week. He was brilliant and he he's just managed to master the sort of balance between, you know, we see him in every phase of the pitch. We see him forming part of a three with Saliba and Gabriel. We see him sort of tucked in alongside Partey and the left back. And then we see him making overlapping runs beyond Bakayo Saka. You know he's he's and he's so good in each of those phases. Um, you know in the middle he stops transitions, he regains the ball, he allows us to press in the in the defensive third. He makes those sort of interventions in the transition um, when they've breached us. You know like you mentioned with the Saliba thing, and then in the final third he provides that overlap and he'll he'll get crosses, cutbacks. Um, there's a few. He'll you know there's one way. Saka played him in and then he sort of chopped back inside and then attempted a cross. Yeah, he was brilliant. I'm kind of glad you went with him because I'm going to take Martin Odegaard, who was man of the match by Country Mile for me. Do on some of these stats? They're absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, go on then. Always up for some Martin Odegaard stats. He, 15 progressive passes. That is ridiculous. Like, if you don't know... For a centre mid, if you get like six, that's pretty decent. He got 15, and he's sort of an attacking eight. So he was progressing the ball brilliantly. Um, nine shot-creating actions, which is ridiculous. Normally, if you get five or six, that's pretty excellent. Uh, six shots. You know, we spoke about that. was one of the things we were sort of hesitant about him when we signed him. Like, he doesn't take enough shots. He doesn't get enough goal-score opportunities. He has come on leaps and bounds this season. He's at 0.35 XG per 90. That's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, six shots in this game. Um, He was, you know, he was a goal threat. He was creative. Uh, I think it was five key passes, um, 1.4 XA or something like that, two assists. It was just a brilliant performance in terms of his creativity and, and goal threat. At the hub of everything we do, some of those passes, metronomic, incisive. Yeah, I, I honestly there aren't many better players in the Premier League right now, and that, that people might think that's a bit of a far fetched statement. I don't think it is. I can't think of many. Like he's performing at that level, he's outstanding. You look at all the metrics, he's up there.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's just fantastic that, and this is something that I tweeted about that we've got a captain who can just deal with the pressure now and someone that we don't have to worry about. He has no antics off the pitch. He's barely got any antics on the pitch apart from delivering outstanding performances. He he was the perfect choice as a leader for this group and it's inspired him to play football even better. You know, he had games last season. I mean, this is where I think his game has gone up a level this, this year. Last year, he would either be sort of akin to what we saw uh, the other night against West Ham, as in, he was absolutely sensational. I mean, that that was a different level of performance. But you know what I mean? He was brilliant, or he completely ghosted. And we haven't really seen him ghost in, in in matches this season, particularly in in more recent times. Obviously, we had the World Cup break, but he was really heating up uh, just before the World Cup. You know, he got his goal against Wolves, um, and he's he's our top goal scorer uh, in, in the Premier League. So, you know that this is this is a guy who. Is really grabbed the role by the scruff of the neck as club captain, as being one of the best players in the team, and oh, yeah, he 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 deserves all the praise he's getting at the moment. Um, and you're right, definitely one of the, one of the best players in the Premier League. And you know, I think there's this is something that Daniel and I have discussed. There's this hysteria about Arsenal that for some reason we we're, we're not that good, but. Let's face it. We're top of the Premier League. We're seven points clear. Likely four points if City win. But still, what a brilliant position to be in at this point of the season. Of course, of course, we have some of the best players in the league, and we, we need to start treating them in, the, in that in that manner.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, give me your give me your second player.
1: I'm gonna go for Bukayo Saka. I think it again, like Ben White. He's one of those that perhaps goes under the radar just because he is so consistent, but he got that goal, um, which, as we discussed, had slat of a, a player who's a, a playing well beyond the years of the age of Bukayo Saka, and uh, you know he's come on so far. And there's something about when Bukayo Saka gets the ball from a, in in a wide area, perhaps Ben White will clip it to him over the top. And the way he just breezes past his opponent, turning inside and creating opportunities. Um, yeah, he's so important to the way we play. And perhaps we weren't getting the ball enough to him in that first half. And I feel like that's something that we also changed heading into the second half. Both Martinelli and him uh, lacked influence to an extent in that first half. Saka was definitely better. Um, but just on Martinelli, I, 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 I agree with you. He didn't have his best night, but I think it's the sign of a really good player where you can just have that one moment even when you're not having your best game and credit to Martinelli what a finish.
0: Yeah, Martinelli had a few bright moments but I do think you know, there was that over-hit cross which was pretty bad. He had some... That, that was awful. Quite, yeah. yeah, he didn't quite assert himself. I don't know if... He, he had one shot and it was the goal. You know, he wasn't really threatening. He was sort of looked a bit out of place with Tierney on that side. He looked better when Zinchenko came on. Um, and I do think it was just a little bit of rust. You know, he hasn't he hasn't played at all, um, really. I mean, he played that one game against Cameroon. Um, apart from that, it's been a few cameo performances and then a friendly behind closed doors against Luton. So it's been a pretty absent month in terms of match sharpness for him. Absent month and a half. Um, but Saka, I'd agree. It's his party trick now of receiving the ball with his back to goal and just pinning the defender and turning him and getting past him. He does it so many times. It's the thing he does to an elite level. Um, Took the goal superbly, constant threat. Just what a player, what a player. He's a star. He is one of the best players in the league, again, with with Martin Odegaard.
1: Very wholesome to see the photos of him with Arsene Wenger after the game as well. It's something that he's spoken about, that he said that he, he really wants to meet him. And... Yeah, he's just one of those players that Arsene Wenger would have dreamed of having the combination of technical quality and power. And I think that was a really beautiful aspect of having Wenger there. The fact that those players that are so aesthetically pleasing in everything they do with the ball at their feet, the fact they all thrived, the likes of Ben White, Martin Odegaard, Bakayo Sakura such a threatening right-hand side. And then when Zinchenko came on, these are players that Wenger would have loved to have had under his tutelage. And it it was was beautiful that they all thrived when he was at the stadium. It was just such a... Everything just sort of fell into place in the end, despite the not even worrying first half. But you you did worry that it would have been Wenger there and we would have lost. And imagine all the coverage if we had.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I, can imagine, oh, I just can imagine the narratives, even though we were playing relatively well. um, My second player. I think it's tough. I'm sort of torn between two, As and we're talking about the theory of a stock rising, someone who's whose stock has risen since this, and I think there's only two. One of them is Zinchenko, which is a bit of a niche shout, given he only played about 18 minutes, but I just think you saw even more the importance to it, to, uh, he brings to us when he came on, like the control he, he gave us, um, the way he sort of ignites that left pod, that left-hand side um, with Shaco and Martinelli. But I'm going to go with Eddie and Kelly. It's got to be, in terms of a stock rising. Has like, to
1: be, yeah. Has to be.
0: Exactly. Do we think more highly of him than we did prior to the game? Probably. We're a little bit more at ease with, with you know the way we can play without Gabriel Jesus. Was he as good as Gabriel can be, Jesus could be? No. Um, there were times where some of his passing was a little bit off. Um, there was one where, you know, he flicked it inside and he just had quite a simple layoff to Sako It would have been a very good chance and he just didn't get the weight and the pass right. There were a few moments where he still did that thing where, as you alluded to earlier... Uh, running
1: backwards, it's, yeah. it's my pet peeve. With him. Yeah, they
0: play the ball into it instead of sort of holding it and pitting the defender, he takes a big touch back and then just sort of lays it off. And I'm like, you've just sort of regressed the ball there. But there were also times where he did take it and he turned and he drove and carried the ball up the pitch. Some really bright moments um, and obviously the brightest moment was the goal and it showed that we can deal with him. And he, he showed it in that period towards the end of last season that he he is very good. It's The bigger games where I'll be a bit more worried, but and there will be bigger tests to come because something we haven't mentioned is West Ham will look very bad at the moment. Um, but yeah, I've got to give it to him.
1: Yeah, and and, and something that I think was, was quite nice for Eddie as well is that he actually had a great game away at West Ham last season and he had the sort of beef with Declan Rice. I think Declan Rice looks so far from himself in that West Ham team now. I think he's so ready to move on. Um, don't know if if we're somewhere that he would consider coming, but or whether you know he's he's exactly the right fit for us. But there's all those photos of Arteta embracing him after the game, Uh and that that can't be a bad thing. That Arteta's trying to form these positive relationships with the best players at, at sort of inferior clubs to an extent. But yeah, from a West Ham perspective, like. And it's something that you lobbed on the chat at halftime. It just must be so depressing for some of those elite sort of technicians that they have in. in perhaps elite is exaggerative, but you know they've got some excellent forward players, and they need to start playing to their strengths because that is not how you get the best out of a player like Lucas Paqueta. You, if you want the best from him, you basically allow him to play exactly how Granite Shaka does, um, and. It's, it's it's a shame that he's gone to West Ham, really.
0: Yeah, I know a few West Ham fans who are getting a bit restless at this point. And it sounds harsh, given the two seasons that David Moyes had just produced, which have been brilliant for West Ham. But I think it may have got a bit stale. It happens a lot of the time. Uh, and they may have got to the point where they have to move past them. And I, I said it at half-time, as you just said. The players they have at their disposal are just far too good to play in this style. Like, they they improved their squad this summer with some really good attacking players. You know, Skamaka was obviously not available. They've got Maxwell Cornet, who's a good squad player. You know, they brought in Emerson, Palmieri, who's a good attacking left-back. It's a very good squad, and they've regressed, and they're playing in a style which is not getting the best out of the array of attacking talents they have. And it might be time to, you know, evolve and bring in a more attacking manager, essentially. Um, but anyway, it's not a West Ham podcast. Um, anything else you want to say on this game?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I think everything that we, I've, I've wanted us to touch upon, we have. I think sort of the key talking points were Eddie getting his goal. I think Arsene Wenger being at the stadium. Um and just the the importance of the victory. And all eyes on Man City now. I think this is just what we have to do every week. We have to apply the pressure. And I've, I've got to say, I'm feeling more confident than ever for the, and it, it still feels a bit ridiculous to say it, but the title charge, it, it, I've, I've, I'm feeling very confident in heading into the rest of the season. Um, I don't know if maybe this is something that will save for the Brighton uh, pre-match, but I think actually we've, do have a little bit of time before we sort of start talking. Our talking too much. There was obviously that bid for Madrid. Do you increase that offer, or do you walk away off?
0: Well, what it was, what was it? Forty million euros plus twenty million adults. Or
1: yeah, so that I think that comes to about a fifty-five million pound total bid.
0: I think you could potentially go slightly higher but they'll the club will have a price in mind where they pull out like we are we've spoken about it recently this isn't we're not a club that's just, you know going to do what united still do um and just sort of keep you know the, the club if, if the the other team adds on you know 10 15 million pounds to the price tag we're not going to pay it and that's going to help us in the future because clubs will know they can't just do that like they can do with if United are interested, um, but they can't do it with City because City do the same thing. So I'm pretty confident that we'll have a price tag in mind and if we can't get the player for that price tag, we'll walk away and we'll turn to the next you know, player we have on our list, um, which we undoubtedly have. So yeah, yeah I'm not I, too worried about
1: that. I found it promising that... Um... Shakhtar didn't just sort of outright reject it. There was sort of a day or two before they said no, which I'm I'm guessing means, you know, we're at the negotiation table with them now. Uh, As you say, there will be that price that we have, but Shakhtar are in sort of a little bit of a problematic position now because Cody Gakpo has just gone to Liverpool for a total of 50 million, an initial fee of much less than 50 million. They need to be careful because... The going rate for a winger of Madrid's quality is about that and they can't go much higher. And It's not like he's the only option out there. Um, So we we need to be careful with this one. We need to make sure we don't overpay. I'm confident that we won't. And I'm just perplexed as to why PSV didn't hold out for more money because they definitely could have got it from Man United.
0: Yeah, I think the Anthony deal skewed the... uh... Yeah, people are talking about this a lot, yeah. Yeah, that sort of skewed the market and then hopefully this Gappo one sort of levels it out properly. Um,
1: yeah, I, I do hope so because Shattar, um, the, the 85 million valuation euros is is hilarious. He, he's, he's not that calibre of a player. He could be one day, but he's not there yet.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, Gatpo's just excelled in a World Cup and he's done it. I know the Dutch league is not top 5 league but it's it's a lot higher standard than the Ukrainian league so I think we have that will hopefully you know help us and we can use that sort of as leverage anyway uh let's call it a day yeah rob marketing opportunity of a lifetime
1: uh i think that little discussion has just inspired me to to write an article which i'll i think i'll throw together this evening i'm going to write about mudrik i'm going to discuss how high we go and maybe talk about a few other options out there because um we've discussed them on the podcast but I haven't haven't put pen to paper for a while or to be more accurate my fingers to the the, the keypad so uh yeah I'll, I'll be writing about Modric for we love you uk, and it should be out I'm gonna say bye tomorrow
0: yeah and talking about Modric um shout out uh Danny's piece about how much he is publicly twerking for us it's kind of getting funny now he's posted on his story yeah, yeah that was like- so funny exactly he's watching us he he is gagging for a move to the emirates um and to be honest you can blame him you know where else would you want to be um so yeah anyway i'll i'll second that we love you arsenal uk also shout out we.love.you.arsenal instagram um and yeah rob it's been a pleasure need a song we do um We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yeah,
1: yeah, because we
0: do, we do. And it is that sort of middle period. And this is actually the last pod of the year. So we were going to do 150, but unfortunately the days couldn't align. So 150 will be... Yeah, basically Danny Fenton's
1: useless. He's a prick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, we love you, Danny. Um, it's, It's a shame that we couldn't get the drunk cast out. But in the new year... Um, I can't make any promises I can personally but I'm not sure about the other two so but hopefully we'll get it out
0: yeah I was going to say that's harsh but I think Danny is one of those he doesn't really need an arm around the shoulder he needs a bollocking um, whereas I think Mac might need an arm around the shoulder <laughs> yeah, I, really I agree sure yeah I that I haven't <laughs> worked out my, my managerial style <laughs> for Mac yet but anyway uh, yeah we'll leave it there um, and yeah Merry Christmas and a Happy, and
1: a New, Happy Year. New Year we really wish bye. you a Merry
0: Christmas bye